This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast 17. This is the dedicated podcast going to the heart of all things Southampton. This week's podcast is sponsored by Mitchie Batshui Hot Water Bottle, keeping you toasty through the winter when you simply can't be asked to go and warm up. On episode 17, I'm delighted to say we're again joined by two guests. First up, it's our regular Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at the Daily Echo. Adam, a roller coaster afternoon at St Mary's today. Did you see any hot water bottles from your vantage point? I didn't see any hot water bottles at all. Had they been handed around the press box, though, I would have been tempted, I think. It was actually surprisingly cold. I didn't think it was going to be that cold. But it is weird, though, turning up for a game at that time in the morning. I was there at 9am, I arrived, and I thought, what on earth is going on? And everybody looked as confused as I was, who was already there working. So it was a weird old game. But yeah, it was a bit windy, a bit chilly. Yeah, although I saw the temperature was not too bad, was it? It was like 7, 8 degrees, wasn't it? Oh, just for the record, it was, it was, it was minus eight yeah. up here this morning, so uh, <laughs> in the Arctic Circle. There we go. Anyway, um, our second guest is Dan James, at the Dan James from Twitter. Dan is one of the stars of the post-match videos with our friends over at the Ugly Inside, and also one of the most loyal fans that I'm aware of, never missing a game home or away, including our Europa League travels last season. Dan, great to have you with us. Thanks for, for coming on. What, what's the no consecutive worries. number of matches that you've attended now? It's 154 at the minute. 154, that is some effort. Um, yeah, um, that Not puts, including friendlies. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we were just talking off, off air there because obviously Adam missed the, the Manchester City game, so Adam's now up to two consecutive games in a row, so he's flying <laughs> now, so that's great. So uh, there, there we go. Um, alongside being such a committed fan, Dan, um, I know you also do a lot in helping to support and work with the Saints Foundation as well, don't you? Yeah. So um, I was just going to get you to talk about that briefly, some of the stuff you've done with Saints Foundation. Yeah, so I've been on on the books at the foundation as a worker since 2013 now. So mainly I work with sort of youth in the community, uh, the occasional sort of soccer school and that sort of thing. But like you said, as well as that, I've done bike rides over the years, uh, some of the fundraising evenings. There was the big quiz last year, the training session with Claude. So quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, and you take the quiz quite seriously, I imagine, knowing sort of your uh, intense sporting passion. Uh, uh, we got absolutely demolished. <laughs> you know, it's sort of... We were, we had a fairly young group of us, so uh, when it started doing the questions about the seventies and eighties, we were lost. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a fair excuse. So, <laughs> and I, and I, I was going to ask you as well, and I, I forgot there, so apologies. But at your 154 consecutive games, then can you give us a couple of good ones and a couple of bad ones that sort of stick in the mind? Uh, so there's two bad ones that stick in the mind massively. Two on the trot was Sheffield United and Burnley away. Um, yeah. Two horrible, horrible games and two horrible <laughs> results. The good ones, there was. You can choose from any, really. Arnhem was probably the best one in Europe. Uh, Beating Chelsea 3-1 away. There was obviously the victories at Old Trafford, so I couldn't pick out a best one. But yeah, the ones that stand out for me are Sheffield United and Burnley away, back-to-back. To me, I mean, as I said, you're one of the most loyal fans that I know that goes to every game. And I guess that is the, the good thing about going to so many consecutive games. You know you're going to get probably four or five duffers, but then an absolute oh, belt, yeah. belter's going to come yeah. along at some point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that sort of... I, even if we lose, I, I'll enjoy an away trip because obviously... You're a more close-knit bunch. Obviously, there's less of you, more of them sort of thing. 
but yeah, I, I can't pick out one that I haven't enjoyed other than Burnley and <laughs> Sheffield United. Yeah, I've been to Burnley. I know what you mean. So no, fair, fair <laughs> enough. So <laughs> there we go. Well, dangerous wooden seats. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the weird cricket um, pavilion that they use as oh, the barn, the bar next door, which there, is Jimmy Anderson's local, isn't it? I think. So. Yeah, I think there was one year that there was actually a cricket game. While, like on the day of the Burnley oh, it's all confusing, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go so well we, we look forward to um, chatting a bit more about you and uh, as I said really you know, grateful for you coming on the podcast in episode 17 we're going to discuss the fallout from the Arsenal game we're going to look at Claude Puel's return to St Mary's this coming week with Leicester we're going to have a quick chat about Chelsea on the 16th of December and we're also going to talk to Adam about the Daily Echoes Pink which has ended its printed production this weekend after 119 years of service to the people of Southampton this is Total Saints Podcast, Episode 17. Arsenal game then, Adam. The score was 1-1. Four million points for your prediction. We're going to get off with a positive. Well done. Thank you very much. Yeah, four million points. I have to say, I was just as well I did it last week because before the game, I suddenly found myself getting really pessimistic because I think I've said to you before that I, I quite often hatch a different prediction before the game than what I give on the podcast because uh, obviously I would have had a bit of time to dwell on it and also more importantly if I go for something completely different then it gives me two chances of getting it right and feeling like I'm really clever um, at least to some people so <laughs> but before the game I got I got weirdly pessimistic I was I thought oh this is going this could be a bad afternoon I don't know why I thought that so, yeah, when it was one all, and I realised I had got one of my predictions correct, I was, I was absolutely delighted, especially when I remembered it was four million points for a win. <laughs> there we go. So, no, good stuff. Well, I, I think we would have taken it before the game. Obviously, I think in the end it probably felt a little bit like two points dropped again. Fraser Forster, quick shout out to him. We, we weren't going to um, dwell on him for ages because we've done it in a few podcasts, but I've seen the Ramsey save a couple of times now, and it was unbelievable from him. So, it's good to see him back in form. In terms of the lineup, there was questions from the off. I think you and I were both uh, sort of querying uh, on Twitter what uh, exactly the formation was going to be, Adam. But Stephen Yoshida came back in, both recalled at the back. Hoyt, Lamina and Buffel all benched. Dan, what did you make of the game overall? Oh, yeah, I thought we played quite well. It was, like you said, it was a bit of a surprise from the lineup. Um, but overall, we played quite well. A lot more positive compared to what we have seen this season. I thought, again, I did say on Twitter earlier, I thought that the chances that we did miss would cost us. And eventually they did. It's a classic trait of Saints, isn't it? Missed chances, yeah. unfortunately. But, uh, I mean, that first sort of 10, 15 minutes, it really, really could have been 4-5 nil down. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that's been big for me this season is our starts haven't been good enough. Uh, mm. When you go at a team, and we had Arsenal, they were rattled. You know what I mean, you've got some very good defenders in there. And because we went at them in those first 10 minutes, we, like you said, we could have quite easily been 4 nil up. Um, but the start was good. So I think with that if we take anything from today into our upcoming games, start good, really. Yep, absolutely. Um, Adam, just sort of looking at the lineup, but again, not going through player by player, but Jack Stevens obviously came back in, pretty much hasn't kicked a ball at any level for, for sort of three months or so, but um, slotted straight back in, another really good performance for him, carrying on from sort of last season. Were you sort of surprised at how well he played, bearing in mind the, in inverted commas, rustiness? Yeah, I suppose I was really. I mean, it seemed to me when uh, when it, when I saw he was in, I was surprised. I must admit, I didn't expect it. I think there was quite a few people surprised actually around in and around the uh, the squad as well. Actually, that that he ended up getting the nod for this one because I mean, Jeremy Pia, as we discussed last week. I mean, I, I didn't think he was quite as amazing as a, a lot of people made out against Bournemouth, but he it was still for me it was still a respectable performance, and you would have thought uh, he would have continued, especially given. I know that, that uh, Pellegrino will be thinking about lineups in advance, given they've got obviously three games in a week now. But with Cedric expected back, I would have thought that Jeremy PA would have played. And uh, it doesn't exactly say a lot for what, what Pellegrino might think about him if, if he does expect Cedric to be back and he's dropped him for, for Stevens for this one. But I thought I worried a little bit initially whether it was maybe a touch negative because with Stevens, I thought, well, you're not going to get a lot going forward probably from him. He's going to be much more of a defensive um, right back. And I also felt with the, the likelihood of Cedric coming back, that he was on a little bit potentially of a hiding to nothing in the playing against Arsenal was always going to be difficult, um, having hardly played at all. And given that as soon as Cedric's back, Cedric would come back in anyway, it seemed almost a bit of a thankless task to be thrown in for a game like that. But we've spoken about Jack Stevens before. I mean, I've said I'm a big fan of his. I think he's he's really, really good. I think he's he's excellent. 
uh, in fact, and I think has been it's been somewhat harshly treated, to be honest. And so uh, it was really pleasing for to see him back and to do so well again. Dan, Adam and I were talking last week about what Pellegrino might do in terms of would he go to three at the back or, yeah. or you know, might that be seen a bit too defensive? I guess in the end, when you look at it, he probably got it just about right. But what, what what's your sort of mindset around playing the, the, the sort of 3-4-3, three, 3-5-2? Three, do, do you see it as a sort of more defensive lineup, or do you think it still offers as, as much as it can do in an attacking form? Well, it's how you take, however, whichever way you take it, don't you? You look at Chelsea with their two wing-backs and they're probably two of the most attacking wing-backs in the league. Tottenham done it recently, not so much recently, now Alderweireld's injured, but um, it can be attacking, but also it can be defensive. I thought today there was times when we had the ball, we did go to back to the 4-2-3-1, uh, but then, with, like you said, without the ball, we did go to that 3-5-2 again. So it was quite interesting to see it. it was, there was quite a lot of chopping and changing. And just going back on the Jeremy PA talk, I thought... Again, he he put in a respectable performance last week, but I was calling for Stevens to play last week at right back. I think he just gives you that little bit extra. He's strong. He can pick out a pass. Agreed, he doesn't do much going forward, but he can pick out a pass. And I thought he he nullified uh, Sanchez fairly well today. For for a young player, I think he reads yeah. the the game incredibly well, yeah. doesn't he? So yeah. And and Adam, I was just going to say there. I mean, Dan's obviously made a good point about um, the Arsenal front three. I mean, obviously Sanchez set up the goal, but apart from that, we kept them pretty quiet. Those three. Mm. Maybe, maybe it was the weather. Yeah, but maybe they didn't have a. It was our time wasting, according to Wenger. <laughs> time wasting, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic yeah. excuse. <laughs> that was quite entertaining. The uh, time wasting. What was the What was the other excuse? I can't remember. He came out with another one as well. Um, he's always He's always got something up his sleeve. But yeah, no, they did keep them. They did uh, keep them really quiet. To be To be fair, and they did what they had to do, which was uh, we talked about it last week as well, didn't we? Block up that middle area. That area. Yeah. Arsenal want to play narrow. They want to play through the middle. They they do yeah. occasionally try and get the ball out wide, but it looks like it, they're very reluctant <laughs> to, yeah, well, to do anything with we it. We were saying they about it during the game. Side. During the game today, obviously there were times when they were getting the ball out wide, then taking it back into the middle simply because they had no one in the box. Which then was the worry was when Giroud came on, are we going to close them down? Which obviously for that goal we didn't. I thought we got it pretty spot on there really because obviously they were playing out wide, realizing they had no one to uh, play to went back inside and we were winning the ball. I thought Hoiberg again, mopping up the balls in the middle was superb. Yeah, I was, I was going to say about him, Adam, obviously we've spoken about him a couple of times and Dan's hit the nail on the head there. I've got on my notes another fantastic performance from Hoiberg, really offering us something a bit different in there. I mean, it's just his energy really, Adam, isn't it? More than anything else. I mean, he literally covers every blade. It reminds me of Morgan Schleinlin, albeit a little bit more around the waist maybe, but I'm sure he'll lose that over time. But I think, I mean, he literally does cover every blade. Yeah, he's energetic and uh, and uh, he actually played very well as a pair with Romeu today, which was interesting to see because with Lamina, I think Lamina, I think we all agree, has been outstanding. But one thing we have questioned is that actually I'm not sure that him and Romeu have played that well as a pair. I don't think that Romeu has generally, uh, not exclusively, not that they haven't had no good games together, but he hasn't looked the, the same player alongside uh, Lamina. But actually alongside Hoiberg, you get more of uh, last season's Romeu, I think. Uh, so it's interesting that there is there are two uh, permutations with you, maybe even three permutations there. And in a week like this, I think that, well, after the game, Pellegrino said um, when I was speaking to him about the match, that actually the most pleasing aspect for him was, was less the performance or the result in a way and more that it kind of proved what he believed uh, to be correct. It is indeed correct in his mind. And that's that he does have a squad that is very capable of playing. And I expect him, from what he was saying, to make a, a, a fairly large number of changes, a reasonable number of changes for Leicester, and then probably again for Chelsea. So I would suspect that Hoiberg might well be the man who misses out uh, this weekend and maybe even comes back the weekend after if as he shuffles his deck again. Mm. And, it, you know, from your point of view, Dan, I mean, obviously, Romeo, Lamina, Hoiberg are three really good options in there. I'm not going to count yeah. Steve Davis because I agree with Lucy Heiner. He's not a centre, no, central defensive midfielder. No, but I mean, if, if you if you had to pick two of the three at the moment, I mean, f- forget whoever the opposition is, just two of the three. I mean, is there, do, do you feel they are really, you know, you could almost put a piece of paper between them. They are that hard to choose at the moment. Or is there, there two that sort of stand out for you? It is very difficult to choose. As, as you said, the partnership with Romeo and Lamina hasn't always worked at times. But um, I think he's easing Lamina back in step by step following his injury. But for me, I would play Lamina and Hoiberg at the moment. Yeah, just just yeah. to see what it's like, really. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think for me, Hoiberg is a, is the first name on the team sheet in that at position the moment, at the moment. Really, but yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate we've got a lot of games coming between now and January, Definitely, and it's, yeah. it's unfair to to expect him to do no, that. Yeah. And m- moving slightly more forward, then Adam, four four goals in four for Charlie Austin now since he's come back into the side. Obviously, he started scoring goals pretty much when Saints have needed them because we were starting to worry about where they were going to come from. How how important do you think it is, Adam, for any success that we're going to get this season for him to stay as fit as he can? I think it's absolutely vital. I mean, I, I've made my feelings fairly clear in that I'm not entirely sure why the club has felt the need to go down the route of, of changing a successful formula of playing with a fairly rugged target man uh, type striker who's good in and around the box. Um, they, they seem to decide, I think almost, I, I don't know whether it's almost a fashion thing, but it sort of became more fashionable, has become more fashionable not to have players like that in the Premier League. Saints seem to move away from that. And actually, the upshot of that over last season, the start of this season, has been a real struggle to score goals. And the only times that Saints, I think, have looked like they they will be uh, relatively regular scorers are the times when Charlie Austin, a player who, though not not what you'd call an absolute target man, but much more fits that sort of that sort of mould of the sort of player that is successful in that, in that sort of role, um, has played. That that's when they've got goals. And I think it's no coincidence. Again, it's not just the goals that he's bringing to the team. It's the fact that the team look like they know what they're doing when he's there. They look like they understand instinctively what the game plan is and how to get the ball into him and get the best out of him. And what we haven't seen anything like the form creatively from Dusan Tadic since he's been playing with a non-target man. Now look at him. He's creating chances left, right and centre when, when Austin's there again. Austin has brought... His, his very style, the very type of player he is, has lifted the team because they seem to understand what they're trying to do. And they didn't seem to understand how they were going to really create many chances for Gabby Adini and Long, who are completely different types of strikers. And uh, For me, that's been as important as, as Austin's goals has been the fact that the team now seem to have a style. They seem to know how they're going to play. Whereas before, we were so often talking after the game saying, you know, it seems a bit confused. We don't really know what they're trying to do. They don't always look like they know what they're trying to do. Well, now they do. And they look so much more happy and so much more comfortable. So whether this was always the game plan that when Austin was was a 100% fit in Pellegrino's mind, he was going to play him. Whether this has just been trying every single combination and, and finally he's hit on something that's working and, and is now sticking with it. Uh, I mean, who knows? But... Actually, it is working. And, and for me, it's about it's, it's almost common sense. I think it's not it's almost not football genius. It's just football logic, I think. And, and it's so they look so much better for it. You know, he does make you chuckle, bless him. I mean, he obviously tries to run around as much as he can. He looked absolutely knackered after about 25 minutes today. But I, I guess when you think about the game on Wednesday and next Saturday, I guess it's a bit like the Hoiberg situation. You want to keep him in because he's doing so well. But you have to sort of consider his body. And the more he plays, the more there is that chance of him getting injured, Dan. Yeah, definitely. I thought today one thing that he brought to his game, which we haven't seen recently, was the work rate. He chased so much down, Agreed. and we um, absolutely uh, Arsenal struggled to play out the back quite a few times today. And I think that that was credit to him that he started the press. Yeah, and and just just talking about the goal then, um, Adam. I mean, obviously, again, you mentioned Tadic there. I mean, it was some reverse pass from him, pretty much. I think he was the only person in the stadium that saw Charlie Austin behind him. That was a great. It was a marvelous yeah. ball, and of course, then he he put Austin through for another one that he might have done a bit better with. Tadic also, where he played Bertrand in for that great chance as well. I mean, he's he suddenly came to life, has come to life the last few games again from somebody who we've said, oh, you know, his work rate has gone has gone up massively, but his creativity has has decreased at the same time. Suddenly, with Austin in the team, he looks like much more like the player we saw when he had Pella to work with. Uh, yeah, very very creative. He likes playing with that kind of player. He's not as good with with these players sort of making these darting runs and running the channels and things like that that's that doesn't really seem to suit his his forte creatively but yeah it was a brilliant reverse pass for the goal and he's such a I think he's such a talented player I really like him and and I admire his work ethic as well and actually I I really hope that we're going to see the best of Dusan as, as we go ahead. Totally, and I, and I think just to close on Charlie Austin, I mean, he's obviously made it quite clear, the same as um, Pellegrino has, and I know you've spoken about it, Adam, and, and written about it, this fact that something's obviously happened in training, something's clicked, and they suddenly, Austin's realised he's got to work harder or whatever, but just, Dan, I was going to ask you just about Pellegrino, I know, I know you've, you know, obviously have some, some very um, constructive thoughts, 
positive and negative about him. Yeah. But I guess the one thing for me today was almost the, the sort of frustration around making subs almost after yeah. a horse of bolted type thing. But just just in general, I was going to ask you sort of what you felt about his in-game management today. And then just, just to close on the Arsenal section, Dan, just what you made of Pellegrino this season, really. So, yeah, sort of the, the game today, like like I said earlier about the shift in between formations, I quite like that. We haven't seen too much of that recently. It's been one or the other. Um, the substitutions, as you said, I thought some of them were a bit too late. I thought Austin was t- like quite tired fairly early on into the second half, although credit to him, he did keep going. And as we were saying, Tadic, he lost that creativity when Austin tired because obviously Austin wasn't there to, to deliver to, basically. Um, so I would have taken Tadic off a bit earlier. In general, this season, I've, you know, the style isn't too dissimilar to what we saw under Claude, but I think there's, it's quicker. There's, um, there's a pace to it. Turning that on its head, I thought Claude last year, at times, it did work for him because he was playing not to lose, sort of thing, and we were really sure defensively, but uh, we, we still do look vulnerable to certain attacks. There was one point when we had a corner, we pushed everyone forwards. I think the player first back was Bertrand and he was halfway in their half and they nearly scored from a corner which we saw that excellent tackle from Hoiberg uh, to intercept so overall obviously there are positives there are negatives but I think now we've sort of got this little little spell going we we just need to keep building on that and uh, as we said earlier Forster's stepped up massively so uh, I think that helps Mm. the defence too if he has confidence in them they have confidence in him sort of thing Absolutely. I, I tweeted about it earlier just saying that for, for me, where we are now compared to the Arsenal, um, sorry, after the Liverpool game, Big Pardon, I mean, if, if Saints had acted and got rid of Pellegrino there, I'm, I'm not a hire and fireman, but it wouldn't no, surprise yeah. me because we, we didn't seem to be going anywhere. But just no. that improvement we made in the last four or five games. Yeah. And as I said, I know you're quite a sensible chap, Dan. You get to see them every game. Yeah. And Adam's spoken about this numerous times, but you've got to give the manager a chance to actually understand yeah. what he wants to do. And, I mean, and I you was, know, we're never going to go anywhere if we keep sacking managers, of right? Of course. I, I totally agree with that. I was at one point like, you know, this guy needs to start actually getting some points. Otherwise, you know, we are actually going to have to to change the manager. But he's. They've turned the corner and hopefully uh, uh, they can build on that. One big thing as well is, like we said, Claude only had that one season. I think he came out and said in his early press conferences with Leicester, there was a lot of instability around the club at the time with the takeover, uh, sort of the change in ownership type thing. So hopefully we'll have a bit of stability now. I would imagine he'll invest in January, sensibly, of course. But you know, having that bit of stability behind the scenes as well as on the pitch, I think it will only do wonders and um, hopefully we'll push forwards. Before we go on to look at the Leicester and Chelsea games coming up, as we've got Adam with us, I wanted to have a chat about the pink. After 119 years, it sadly closed production this weekend. Adam, before we go on, I wondered if you could sort of sum up your feelings about your time spent working on what was the penultimate printed evening football paper in England. Yeah, um, very sad, firstly, uh, that the, it's come to this and that it's no more. Um, but uh, very grateful to have had basically 20 years writing for a dear publication that I think is in the hearts of so many in our local football community. From I grew up in, in the area, um, lived there most of my, though not all of my life, and um, can remember playing Tyro League football. And when I scored my very, very rare goals, you know, yeah, the one. excitement. Uh, I think it was more than one, uh, maybe three. <laughs> It wasn't many, but anyway, then see the excitement of seeing your name in the paper and and then as you get older, you enjoy uh, more and more of the content in there. Uh, And then as I got interested in journalism and I started to work and do work experience, doing stuff for the pink was the first stuff that I ever did. Like a lot of really good journalists as well. There's some excellent journalists that have started life there that have gone on to great things that you'll see on TV and in national newspapers now. That, that started life working for the pink it's a great uh been a great hotbed of fantastic journalists and journalism as well and then obviously getting the saints job and writing extensively for the pink and, and the running copy and i think jeremy wilson uh my great former colleague who uh now uh, famously works for the telegraph said it said it best when he said looking back on the old days we used to the running copy for the pink 
we used to phone it over. We used to do the thousand word runner on the phone to a copy maker <laughs> at the other end. And the first times you do that, it's the most nerve wracking experience because unlike when you've got it on a laptop, you couldn't even see it. So you, you just say it and it's gone. And then it appears in print. And of course, you're never 100 percent sure the copy takers spelled the names right. And uh, and if you had to do a rewrite with a last minute goal, oh, that was I mean, it's bad enough now, but that was an absolute total nightmare. And then, yeah, obviously, modern technology uh, changed that. But it's it's been great. And I actually I put a tweet out but just because I, I didn't want the it to pass without, you know, kind of it almost being swept under the carpet and people just suddenly thinking it's not there. So I put a tweet out. And I, I've been absolutely bowled over by uh, the response to that tweet. It's been it's been quite remarkable. The number of people who who and are on Facebook as well, people that I'm friends with that uh, have shared memories of where they used to read the pink down the pub so many memories of waiting with their dads after a game or their granddad got them a copy and it just goes to show it's one of those things it's something more tangible than just a publication it's it's something that's been in people's memories it's in people's lives it's been a huge part of who they are it's been an institution and i'm just incredibly incredibly honored to have spent a long time writing for it and incredibly, incredibly sad that, that it's come to this and, and that it's no more. And uh, it still hasn't really quite sunk in yet that this was the last one. And and that uh, next Saturday when I go to Chelsea, I won't be doing a pink runner. That's uh, I mean, I've not I've not covered a Saints game on a Saturday where I've not done a pink runner in 16 years. So it's a it's a very weird feeling. And I think it's a publication that is going to be incredibly, incredibly missed. And as somebody a former colleague of mine uh, poignantly said kind of you don't know what you've got till it's gone and I think that's that's very true and I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be incredibly sad that the the opportunity to buy it is no longer there for them I find myself nodding away here while you're talking in terms of absolutely agreeing with everything you said there and you you actually answered my last question because I was going to say about how heartwarming it must have been for all the feedback I've obviously seen it because I know I retweeted your uh, tweet about it and just everyone saying what what memories do they have with their parents and I, I remember I used to work at All Days and Netley Abbey this is sort of well probably late 90s and you'd get all the sort of men on their way to the club that would come around and stand around the entrance to All Days at six o'clock on a Saturday night waiting for it and uh, as soon as the man got out of his van they were like vultures to a carcass running over to get it so they could get <laughs> out of the club and, and it's, it was just one of those things about a Saturday night wasn't it and, and, and in those days and Dan won't believe me because he's far too young but we didn't have mobile phones we barely had internet Dan so it was the only time I mean I did a four to eight shift on a Saturday and it was the only time when that bloke dropped the paper off that I could see that Saints had got stuff 5-0 or something like that so uh, <laughs> so yeah um, Adam I was, I was going to ask because I mean um, I appreciate you may not know the answer you may not want to say but is, is it just down to sort of struggling in terms of commercial you know people buying it or is it just the digital era has, has taken over and everyone's now viewing everything online or is there more to it than that or can't you say I understand well, if you no, can't no no I'm, no I'm quite happy to talk about it but um, it's I think it's a, comp- a whole combination of things really the, the fact that these these live Saturday sports papers used to be on sale in every major city in the country. And uh, as of next weekend, it will only be in sale in one. Goes to show, really. I mean, the, the, obviously, that's the sports mail in Portsmouth, which has always made me laugh because uh, people always accuse the South Coast of being sort of a bit wet, really, and, uh, uh, when it comes to football supporting. And supposedly Newcastle and Manchester and Birmingham have got all these hotbeds of fans and yet their sports papers went a long, long time ago because they were obviously weren't as passionate as people claimed. And yet here was Southampton and Portsmouth uh, keeping the tradition going. Um, the, the R-Pink was the longest continuous running one because the sports mail in Portsmouth did stop. It did close down for a period and then it's re-emerged again. So, yeah, but I mean, that obviously is part of it. The, the fact that the immediacy of it, people rushing to go in because it was a great chance, the first chance to see the read the report, to see the results, to see the tables, um, as well as all the other things that are in it. Obviously, that has gone. The Internet has obviously and the mobile devices and the fact we can all look at these things on the go has obviously diminished it in that respect. You, you don't necessarily need that. And also these days, the number of I mean, the majority of people who are interested, I think, illegally stream matches, despite the fact Sky claim that's impossible. So people in the Premier League, people have even seen all the games. So they don't even need to read that kind of report necessarily. So that that's part of it. 
um, it did still have a very uh, stable uh, sales figure from what I understand. I don't know everything about it. I don't get those delivered. That's not my position. But from what I understand, it had a sale, stable sales figure. There was a community of people um, that bought it and I think would have bought it until the bitter end because it had what this week 10 pages of non-league coverage the non-league coverage is unsurpassed in this country by a long a long way the best absolutely a long long way the best it's incredible and then it tied up all of our local football it had all the local leagues the sunday leagues the junior leagues it then had saints so if you were in our local football community the chances are you weren't just interested in saints you were interested in saints and what Eastley were doing and you're also interested in what was going on at Tottenham and you're also interested in what was going on in the Sunday leagues and things like that and all of that was there um, everything was there in, in a way that I don't think it, it will ever reappear in any in any sense like that as well but despite all of that I'm I'm fairly confident that that it probably didn't make much if any money I mean you've got to if you look at look at the last few months of, of Pink's there was there was not an advert in them. It was incredible value because people complained the price went up, but the pagination went up to 48 pages and they were advert free. I mean, it was like page for for penny. It was probably the best value publication you could buy your news agent. It was absolutely remarkable, really. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, that it wasn't a publication that where the sales were probably going to go up. And in, and in this era, unfortunately, that we're in, if you're not a profitable publication, potentially even a loss making publication, uh, a big business looks at it and does not necessarily think that that is something that's worth pursuing. They're they're not necessarily geared purely towards the heritage or the community of it. It has to stand on its own two feet. And uh, if that's not the case, then you're always in danger. And unfortunately, with, with the publication going, we've lost a couple of dear colleagues at the same time who have lost their jobs as well, which is incredibly sad too. And uh, yeah, so it's it, it, I think it's very sad news all round um and it's been i must admit it's been a hard few days for me and for quite a few people um emotionally as much as anything else but trying to mainly reflect on the fact that it's been a labor of love for us for for i think those of us who have worked on it because it is a niche publication it is a minority publication unlike the echo which is obviously much bigger but it was our thing it was our little sports team who put this together. It was our absolute passion and labour of love for so, so many years and for so many people as well. And just, I think, on reflection, an immense sense of pride at having been involved in it for so long and and really having, against all odds, done well enough that we kept it going for so, so long. And even if it has to bow out now, at least it had a, a greater life than almost all of those papers, which I think speaks volumes for the community that enjoyed it and the people who worked on it, who, who put so much into it. I, I know there's a team of you, so I, I certainly don't want to name names, but just your comment about uh, non-league, as you mentioned there, I think absolutely could, should give a shout out to Wendy G. I know she's very popular in uh, Hampshire for all the work she's done. So certainly for her, I know. Um, Dan, like many of us who lived in Southampton and played football in the Tyra Leagues, as Adam mentioned, yeah. and Wessex League and such, I mean, I guess you must have been fond of picking it up and looking for your name in it every so often. Yeah, I remember a few Saturday evenings, sort of like after a home game, sometimes we'd go out for a meal and there was a little um, news agents next door, so we'd put the pink up and yeah, I was in it a few times. So uh, <laughs> obviously I didn't find out until I saw Adam's tweet floating around on Twitter that it was going. So as Adam said, the massive exposure for non-league football, which um, it doesn't get at the moment. So um, it is a massive shame, really. And, and I know um, I was mentioning to you both before we started, so I put a call into the folks down in the Southampton to make sure I got a, a copy of it. So Dad's confirmed that he managed to pick me up one, so it'd be nice to have that as a keepsake for the uh, <laughs> the time to come. But yeah, look, I mean, thanks for, for talking about it, Adam, and I think certainly everyone that's listening to the podcast will know it and will have family members that have picked it up for years and years. So I think obviously all of us are very sad to see it go, but um, it's certainly done well and it's time that it's been with us. So rest in peace, the pink. We're going to look at the Leicester game now that's coming up this week. Leicester arrive at St Mary's coming off the back of three straight wins. The media are obviously going to build this up to be about Claude Power returning as well. Dan, what was your view on the way Saints got rid of Claude in the summer? Did you agree with it overall? I agree. I do agree that he did have to go, but I just think that the decision was taken too late in a sense. I thought it rambled on for quite a while. I said, I mentioned it, I think it was yesterday, that 
you know, I think if he stayed, there would be that potential that people just wouldn't turn up because it did get quite toxic towards the end of last season, in all honesty. Mm. Adam, I mean, I know you've echoed that in terms of commenting on that previously, haven't you, about the, the sort of relationship. In terms of his return to St Mary's, do, do you think it will be fairly unnoticeable? I can't imagine it's going to be hostile. He never really did anything wrong. I think all no. of us have got respect for him, Adam. But what, what do you think the, the sort of reaction is going to be like, if at all? I, I don't think there will be much of a reaction, to be honest. I expect uh, in amongst 30,000 people, there'll be a handful of people who applaud him. There'll be a handful of people who boo him. But you probably won't hear much of that because the vast majority of people, I imagine, will largely ignore him. Um, and the return, I don't think it's... it's a. It might be an emotional return for him in that he might be desperate to prove a point. But I don't think it's emotional for, for a lot of the supporters. They never really... Let's be honest, they never grew to love him. That's the reason that he, he lost his job, ultimately. And uh, other than, I think, a, a very vociferous minority, uh, I don't think there were that many people that really hated him. Who, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't like the way he played. And I get the sense that a few of those people maybe feel a little bit bad about how far they went, especially at the end of the season, where we've discussed before, uh, you know, I, I saw just how emotional he was after that last game um, when he when he got that really quite horrible abuse from some people that was that was way, way, way crossing the line. So I think he'll be very determined, though. I mean, he's obviously doing really well at Leicester. He wants to prove, I think, very much so that Southampton have made a mistake. And I'm sure that he would love to get one over Pellegrino um, and prove, prove himself that, that he should not have been sacked. I think it would be a big game for him. Um, but perhaps less so for the fans. Though that said, of course, if uh, if Leicester do turn up and they play well and they, and they were to win and you know win fairly comfortably, if it was a poor Saints performance, there's there's no doubt what there'll be some people saying after after a, a result like that. Uh, so yeah, I guess it has got some significance for Pellegrino, and I imagine there are some people very high up at Southampton Football Club who are desperately hoping that Claude doesn't win because they might well feel they have a little bit of egg on their face if they if he does. It'll, it'll be interesting, Winter, just thinking about that, obviously, if Leicester are winning at any point, and bearing in mind how some of our fans turn quite quickly to have Claude, <laughs> Claude stood in one dugout, sort of chuckling to himself, thinking, yep, that's what I've got for the last 12 months, mate. So, uh, um, <laughs> I mean, in terms of in terms of Leicester, Dan, they're obviously in good form. Yeah. Adam, Adam never likes to use the word must win, and I'm certainly not saying it's must win, but I guess if you could get four points from Arsenal and Leicester... It's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah. You, you take it, but I mean, it will obviously be a tough game because they've got. I mean, they're they're kind of built up to counter attack a bit like we are with yeah, the, the pace yeah. on their side, aren't they? So it'll be a tough game. Uh, definitely, as you said, them on the that's the slight difference between us and them is they are a lot more capable on the counter attack than us. But again, I, I, I keep saying it. I tweeted about it the other day. Um, Leicester like a honeymoon period with a the manager. They're they're one with Ranieri lasted a whole season. You know, they started well under Shakespeare. You can truly judge him that when and if he maintains that those performances, because um, I, I can't. No, I don't think anyone can put their finger on it. Why? Why it keeps happening? But yeah, they're in great form at the minute, and um, I hope he continues it, just not against us. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, Adam, from your point of view, I mean, how, how do you think Saints should approach it now? Obviously, I think as Dan mentioned earlier, one of the frustrations for me this season is that we've almost gone out to some of the games with the view of not to lose rather than to try and win it but uh, do, do you think they've got to try and go out a bit more positive like they did today and really hit Leicester from the start? I'd like to see them go out more positive I actually think part of the problem that Southampton have got is that um, or have had this season is actually as we've said before they are actually better set up to play against um, the bigger clubs sometimes especially when they're, when they're at home than, than they are against some of the lesser teams who, who will come and camp in at St Mary's. Uh, Leicester will fall into that category. They're absolutely a counter-attacking team, as Dan rightly said. And uh, Saints are largely a counter-attacking team. The difference between Leicester and Saints is that Leicester actually have a little bit more pace, I think. So the, their counter-attacks seem to be a bit more incisive, as whereas Southampton's not, are, are not always quite as quite as quick. Uh, quite as quick. Um so in terms of how you play Leicester, I don't think Saints can really uh, afford at home to sit back and try and play on the, play Leicester at their own game and try and see if they can tease and draw them out because you're in for a very frustrating evening, I think, if you try and do that. So I think they'll have to be positive. They'll have to be uh, on the front foot. 
you might say that slightly plays into Leicester's hands, but Southampton are at home. They've got to be positive. They've got to go forward. And uh, for my money, yeah, they're, they're sort of safely back into that mid-table realm, but this is still the very difficult run of fixtures. And despite some good performances, they, you, they obviously they beat Everton, but they lost to Man City despite a good performance. They've drawn with Bournemouth despite a good performance. They've drawn with Arsenal despite a good performance. They could do with having a good performance and getting three points again now, especially as they've got to go to Chelsea. And then, obviously, they've got the Huddersfield home game, but then we know what's coming up for two matches then. So they need, they still need to make sure they're picking up points. And Leicester at home is ultimately a good chance to get three points, even with their, their good form. They're hardly a team that you look at and think they're unbeatable. I did actually watch quite a lot of the game, uh, their game against Newcastle. And uh, certainly, a lot of their defensive frailties still seem to be there and Newcastle were a long way from rampant positive attacking team who were on high on confidence and they managed to expose them several times and get a couple of goals so I don't see any reason why Saints should go into it looking at it anyway other than positively they're playing positively it was a really positive performance against Arsenal uh, again so yeah stay I, I would hope they stay on the front foot for, for Leicester and, and they don't revert back to sort of playing cautiously and trying not to get drawn out themselves in the hopes they draw out the other team. Dan, just before we do our predictions, which are compulsory when people come on the podcast, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, who, who sort of impresses you for Leicester? Who are the players that you think we need to keep an eye out for? I always said it for a while, and they've tied him down recently. It was Damari Gray. He's, you know, he's still quite a young player. Absolutely rapid. You can't deny the class of Morris, who is really starting to show his quality now that sort of his future sort of stabilised. I think, as far as I'm aware, he'll be staying, won't he, really? Um, Vardy as well. I mean, they've got... even You know, they won the league. They're not they're not the best team in the league, but they won the league. They've got some really good players in there. I just think, defensively, we could really cause them some trouble. Yeah, I think certainly with pace and... Uh, yeah. You look at their centre-backs, I think Austin yeah. will give both of them a good game, won't he? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, in terms of prediction then, Dan, what, what, what are you feeling after today in terms of Leicester... <sighs> Put you on the spot. Uh, it depends what Saints turns up, as we said. Do they go and attack, or do they sit back and sort of try not to lose? Um, I'd like to think we'd win, so I'll just pff, scrape a two-one. I think. Yeah. Hopefully. Good. Yeah. Okay. I like that, Adam. You're going for one-one uh, again, aren't you? I know it. No, actually, I, I was going to go two-one as well. I, I'm going to stick with two-one because, as I don't think Dan will be on next week, I can claim the four million. But I can claim eight million points potentially next week if Dan <laughs> gives me his for agreeing with him. So uh, I'm going. I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to go for a two-one Saints victory as well. Okay, if you get it right, I'm, I'm going to sort out the points later on. Okay, but uh, there we go. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going for a goal bonanza as well. Actually, I'm going for two all. There's always goals between us and Leicester. Ooh. I think, isn't there? I, I, I remember the season a yeah. couple of years there ago. Wasn't, yeah, when we were two nothing. There wasn't. Away from home last season. True. Okay. <laughs> All right. At St Mary's, there's always been goals. So, <laughs> um, I remember the uh, tour a couple of seasons ago when we were two out when Calvin Davis yeah. managed to take a goal kick that to the edge their, of his area. That was but their uh, title winning season. Wasn't it, it was. It was. So I, I think it was just one of those seasons where everything just went for them, didn't it? But I mean, look, credit to them. Obviously, it would be amazing to win the league. But I think they are beatable. I think we can go out there. But I, I just get the nagging feeling that we are going to score. But I, I just think with their pace at the back, you know, they've got the ability to stick the ball in the net. So. Uh, I'm going to go for two all, but as I always say at this stage, Adam, I really hope you're right. Oh, thank you very much. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) After Leicester, then, we're off to Chelsea next weekend. To finish the podcast this week, we're going to have a look at that game. Adam, never an easy place to go, but... Chelsea aren't necessarily playing particularly well at the moment. I know they're obviously still up there and thereabouts, but I watched them against West Ham this weekend and they look pretty average, I thought. So they've got a tough trip to Huddersfield during the week when we're, we're playing Leicester the day before, I think. So are we maybe getting it at the right time or do you think it's always a tough place to go, Stamford Bridge? No, I, I, I think it could be a good time to play Chelsea. It's going to be incredibly difficult. It's a hard game, but actually Saints is a ground that my memories of covering Saints are that um, I, can, I can remember some good days for Saints there down the years. Um, so I, I think it's one of those grounds where, and one of those games where I wouldn't rule out Saints getting something. I mean, the, the likelihood is that they won't. But but Chelsea are, are not the force that they were last season. They, they Saints will be in with a puncher's chance, I think, basically. They, they will 
Chelsea will rightly be heavy favourites for the game, and, and deservedly so. But I don't think Saints go there without hope of winning. Um, I think that they've got a, a fairly reasonable chance of doing something. I wouldn't have thought the Saints would have gone as close as they did against Manchester City. But they, they gave that, obviously, a real good go and came incredibly close to getting something. So, yeah, a, a very difficult game on paper, you would think. But actually, one way you feel a bit like today, you thought, well, if Saints are going to upset any of the, the top six, then maybe Arsenal at home is the kind of game, especially this season, Arsenal, again, not quite on the pace, kind of game, if you're going to win one, that's probably the one that you might win. And at the moment, on on the road, when you look at the run of fixtures and the, and the away games they've got, you probably feel, just the way Chelsea are at the moment, that probably looks a better bet than a lot of the other away fixtures that, that they've got against the big clubs. So, yeah, I, I think Chelsea will win, but I don't think Saints go there without any hope at all. So, half a chance. And I assume, just sort of thinking about what we've done so far in the Man City game, do you... It's hard to read Pellegrini at the moment. No, none, none of us really know what he's going to do with formations and selection. But do you think he'll probably try and go there, Adam, with the, the sort of same setup that we had at Man City to frustrate them, try and nick something on the counter? Or do you think he might feel like we do that there's the opportunity to take the game to them a little bit more? I assume the former. Uh, yeah, I, I would think he'll go cautious, personally. I think he'll go defensive and fairly cautious. I think that's the, and try and hit them on the counter attack. That's. I get the impression that's the way that Saints want to play. It was obviously how they wanted to play under Claude, or how Claude wanted them to play. And uh, it has been the way that Pellegrino really has mainly approached the majority of games this season. And as, as I said earlier, when you're playing these big teams and you're actually able to play that game plan, you've got some justification for doing it as well, in fairness. It's, it's the t- these are the games, Chelsea away, Man City away, these are the games to play your counter-attacking style to sit in and try and hit them on the break. So I would think that's, that is what they'll, what they'll do. I'd be surprised if they don't, whether he does that with three slash five at the back um, or not. Well, I mean, that might just depend given we've got another game uh, to come obviously in midweek with Leicester, that might just depend on fitness, availability, personnel, form uh, and things like that as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to the back five. Dan, I'm assuming it's game 155 for you. It'll be 156 after Leicester. Oh, Ooh, <laughs> Lucky, <school>. yeah, so <laughs> good, good. That's right. I'm just going to mark that. Trying down. to catch me out there. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pass. Well done. Excellent. Um, <laughs> I was lucky one of us is on the ball. Um, what do you expect from the game? Are you expecting a, a belter of an away day or one to forget? Well, I hope it'll be a belter. Like I said, there was one a few years ago when we played really well. The year before, we got a draw. You know, it, again, it entirely depends on what Saints turns up. What Chelsea turns up, as we know, they're not what they were last season at the moment. So um, I thought that the game plan at Man City, although we, when we first saw the starting lineup, we were like, what is going on here? <laughs> I thought we executed that game plan really well. And it did take literally the last kick of the, almost the last kick of the game for them to beat us. Yeah. So I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw a similar performance to that and if you know it went in the same sort of fashion we did have some really good chances in that game that we didn't take um i think we'll see something similar to that teams do get frustrated with that approach i mean obviously west ham did it at man city and west ham did it again against chelsea yesterday pretty much as soon as an out of it scored they they sat behind them and frustrated i mean that's that's what you gotta do against these teams you do have to and the way that Guardiola came out afterwards and you know it was spoken a lot about his reaction with Redmond it was because he was frustrated with what we did we found out his you know a weakness of theirs really because they didn't create a massive amount they looked very slow laboured sort of thing so I can see the frustration because we get annoyed when teams come down here and do it but that surely is a credit to yourselves that you're making teams do that. That's what I was thinking today about Wenger's comments is that, you know, the amount of times we've seen at St Mary's and guarantee if Arsenal were winning 1-0, they would have been taking ages to do throw-ins. So, I mean, it's the same as when Guardiola said it the other day. I, I, I think Saints, personally, I think Saints have got, and I'm going to use the word better at time waste, and I think for years we've been far too yeah. honest. You know, players go down, they get straight up and all those sort of things. We've got a lot more smart at time wasting, and I don't doubt that we do it, but <laughs> it's a pretty easy excuse, I think. Oh, it's, it's, it's an easy excuse. And as we saw it today, Arsenal weren't fantastic. And he's just trying to find an excuse to palm off to everyone that they weren't good enough, basically. Exactly. Adam, the, the one player I wanted to talk about, he loves a goal against us. You can guess who I'm going to talk about. Eden Hazard is still in decent oh. form at the moment. Um, 
<laughs> um, surely he's the main threat, really, for us to try and stop Adam. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's absolute world class, isn't he? I mean, he's a he's a terrific player. I'm not really doing anything other than stating the obvious by saying that. But he's a uh, yeah, he's a, he's a massive threat. He's one of those players who could just has the quality to just change a game in the blink of an eye. And uh, he's also very very incisive. I think he's he's you know right up there still, even in the Chelsea team that isn't uh, you know as rampant as they were. Last season, he's still right up there in amongst the very best players in world football. So, inevitably, you're going to have to keep him quiet. It's very hard to do. He's He floats around so much, doesn't he? I mean, he'll drop so deep sometimes to collect the ball and, and sort of get in and out of play, get in between the lines, give and goes and things like that. He's a very hard player to track. So, it's, it's not uh, straightforward um, trying, to, trying to shackle him. And some of the best teams in the world have been unable to do it. So... It will be hard for Saints, and, and I completely agree. He'll be the main the main threat. Dan, we arrive at Chelsea. We've beaten Leicester 2-1, thanks to your prediction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, your prediction as well. Um, <laughs> so where, where are you going with your prediction at Chelsea? Oh, I'll take a draw. Yeah? Yeah. One all. One all, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Adam? Yeah, I'll have to reverse my prediction and go for a 2-1 Chelsea victory, I think. 2-1 Chelsea, yeah. Okay, fair enough. I've gone slightly worse than that, 3-1, but I do think we will frustrate them. I, I, what I can see is a couple of late goals just to sort of kill us off. So I've gone 3-1, but I don't, you know, I'm not saying a convincing 3-1. I'm saying that Saints will get stuck in and frustrate them. And uh, in the end, their quality is just going to shine through. So if there's ever such a thing as a positive 3-1, Adam, that's what I've gone for. Well, a positive 3-1 defeat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Total Saints Podcast. Dan, it's been a pleasure having you on. Keep up the great work, Supporters Saints, and I hope we can catch up again soon. Yeah, definitely. Oh, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, Adam, thanks as always. Look forward to next week's podcast and appreciate you talking again about the pink. On behalf of many Saints fans, it's nice to be in uh, a position where I can talk to you down the line and say thanks for all your and your team's hard work over the years with the pink. It's um, sad to see it go, but as I say, we'll treasure my last copy of Finally, Total Saints podcast would also like to wish former Saints manager Nigel Atkins all the best at Hull City. He's taken over this week, so just wanted to, on behalf of the podcast, wish him all the best with that job. On next week's podcast, episode 18, we're going to be joined by James Kibbe, a Saints fan who was also one of the masterminds behind Barry Gale, Made for Heroes at the start of this season, and a new production that will be out before Christmas. We're going to talk to James about that and also get his views on Saints. In the meantime, thanks as ever for listening and keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.